Well, since it's Father's Day, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Grateful for your being here. I hope you listen, excuse me, to the words of the song that we sung, Father of Mercies. If we can catch that glimpse of God as a father, and we can catch that glimpse of him being a gentleman, the love and the patience he has towards us will help us to see things maybe in a different light. In verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own authority. We oftentimes do not see the totality of God and of who he is. We understand, again, his love, his creation. But sometimes through time we forget that he has a purpose and that he has a plan. That he's created the universe, he's created time, he's created human beings, he's created the world in which we live and all the plant life, animal life, and so forth. And he has a purpose in it, which he is executing, that we may not fully understand the reasons why or the time frame involved in his execution of his will in human history. So basically we have two responses that we can give to what God has done or is doing. One is found in Job chapter 38 and in verse 2. We can be of those who want to darken the counsel of God by words without knowledge. We're going to question why God has done what he's done, why he's doing what he's doing, why he has delayed in doing what we think we ought to be doing, why he allows all of this evil to take place in the world, why he allows evil to be done to good people and, good, and bad people to, to be blessed and so on and so forth. We can either respond with, are we going to darken the counsel of God and question him as to the why he is allowing these things to take place? Or we can respond in a way found in Proverbs 3, And in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Either we're going to question God or we're going to trust God. It's a choice that we make. And we need to be careful as we make that choice. 
God is that perfect gentleman. He is always on time. But it's his time. And it's not ours. Reminded in 2 Kings 19, verses 32 and through 37. We're reminded that when Hezekiah was threatened, and his city was about to be overtaken, that in God's timing, he intervened. And then one night he slew 185,000 of the enemy at the gates of Jerusalem. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he is doing what he's doing. We do not fully comprehend that. But then who is it up to us to do the questioning of God as to why he allowed these things to take place. He has a purpose. We may not see the purpose at the present time, but it's there. His timing is impeccable. You can look at Second Peter 2, verses 7 through 9. God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. They're dealing with law. And if you look at the time frame in that, dealing with his uncle Abraham and things that appear to Abraham at certain times, it could be that Lot, as he is in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, a choice that he made, knowing this wickedness, but made that choice anyway, that he may have been there for 20-some-odd years. And as you read the account there in Peter, he found his soul being tormented day after day by the ungodly living of those in the city. 20 years. But God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. May not be our time frame. But it is God's time frame. And God does know what he's doing. He's aware of each life. He's aware of each trial we face. He's aware whether we will turn to him or not along the way. He appears just when the time is right. No sooner and no later. We look in the book of James and in chapter 5. Verse 7 and following. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rains. 
You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. God has his time frame. And he is also aware of every human being that he has created. He's aware of every strength and weakness, every trial, every tribulation. And he does hear the request of his children. But he does answer in his time. And ours is always wanting the answer now. And ours is always wanting the answer that relieves the difficulty rather than our enduring the difficulty in developing strength to face future trials that indeed may come our way. He is the perfect gentleman. He is gentle. He is kind. He is respectful. He is loving. He is attentive. And he's in control. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 11, verse 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and, heavy, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. He's compassionate. He bids us to come in our, trials of, in our times of trial and tribulation. Trust in him to help us in our time of need. A little bit later in the book of Matthew, in chapter 23, And in verse 37. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. He's not going where he's not invited. He is patient. He's always longed for his children. From Adam and Eve on down. To be able to know that they can and they should come to the Heavenly Father. That he does love and he does care for them. That he's aware of what they're going through and wants to help. But we must be the ones who are willing to ask him to help us in our lives.
Go back into the Old Testament in Hosea. You go to chapter 11. Verses 3 and 4. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not know I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take a yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. God cares for his creation, cares for his people. But they do not know that. How often did Israel of old forget that God cared for them? That he watched over them, that he protected them. They knew it from time to time, but so many times they forgot. And are we any different? We know God cares, but how many times do we forget that he cares for us? That he does give us that free choice. But he does give us his word to guide us and to direct us along the way. He has everything planned out. And he has it organized. Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 46 and verse 10. That he is able to declare the end from the beginning. Interesting concept. Again, it does not say he knows everything from beginning to the end. He says, I know the end from the beginning. I know how it's going to unfold and and play out. Ours is, do we darken the counsel of God with questions? Or do we trust in the Lord with all our heart? And lean not on our own understanding. What choice will we make? Knowing that he knows and has it planned out. And then he executes it and ours is to trust him. He's a loving father. He's a gracious creator. He's benevolent in all that he does. He's given beyond our measure to understand and comprehend his goodness and or his severity. You can trust him that he'll do exactly what he said. The Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, the Lord himself, himself has said, I will never leave you Nor will I ever forsake you, says the Lord. He's promised. So when he's not there, why is it? He's there. We do not see him because we have not turned to him. But even in that, he is still patient with us. Paul would write to the Philippians. In the first chapter. And in verse 6. 
being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete what he has started. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17. Verse 16 reminds us that every scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And with all of that, then, there is no need in our life to worry, then that's exactly what we do so many times. And what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, three times we're told not to worry. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Do not worry about your life. Verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek all those things, and the Heavenly Father cares for us, provides for the birds of the air. Do not worry. Verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is in control. He cares. He's that perfect gentleman. He watches over. He provides. He intercedes in our life in times when we need him there. He takes care of his own. He's mighty in battle. Read Samuel, 1 Samuel 17. It's David and Goliath. But how many times do we want to do it the way that King Saul wanted it to be done? And as you read the account, it's again interesting to me. The army of Israel has said that the Philistines have defiled the armies of Israel. David says the Philistines have defiled God. God will answer, and God will intercede. Saul wanted to give David his armor. David couldn't put it on or carry it, wasn't trained in it. And when God cares for his people, he intercedes. And you do not need that armor of man. You need to trust in God. God will deliver him into my hand. And indeed, God did just that. He's always there in our life. He's aware of what's going on. In 2 Kings 6 and verse 17... 
Elisha is being surrounded by a Syrian army, a whole army sent to capture one man and his servant. And when they wake in the morning, the servant goes outside the tent and looks and he says, the whole Syrian army has surrounded them. And he's a mite concerned about that. But Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. I think the word now or already is there. Open his eyes, Lord, that he may already see what is there. There was an innumerable host of angels. See what is already there. Do you not believe that we're not to look with just the physical eye at the life that we live and the trials we encounter and the dangers that are there, the obstacles that are placed before us? Open your eyes and see what God has provided. He cares for his children. And he makes provisions for them along the way. We need to believe that when we come to our God in prayer, that he hears us. Not only does he hear, hear us, he desires to hear us. He desires to hear our petitions and our gratitude and our thanksgiving and our request. That we can lay them before God, great or small. He is that perfect gentleman. He listens. He'll listen to you. And ours is where we listen to him along the way. Do we often petition him? Just communicate with him. Any time of the day or night. Not at any specified time, even though you may have those. But at any time for any reason. Just to talk with him. He longs to hear his children. Longs to hear their voice. Just so that they know that he knows where they're at and that he cares for them. We have the freedom and the privilege and the honor to have undivided attention from God when we talk with him. You're not placed on hold. You have his undivided attention that he hears and he desires and wants to hear what it is that you have to say. Our God is that perfect gentleman. He is the master gardener. And he will never force anything to grow, meaning us. We're his creation. Or he does not force anything to bloom before it's time. 
He waits until the fruit is ripe and sweet and beautiful. But he does carefully tend to it. He cares for us. He knows how to prune in such a way that it produces, that we produce more fruit. Look at John 15, 1 through 8 sometime. He is the vine and we are the branches. And every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off to cast off and to be burned. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. And I've been in areas where there have been vineyards. And I've seen the vineyards before they pruned them, and I've seen the vineyards after they pruned them. And after they pruned the vineyards, you would swear that they killed them all. But they're pruned so that they may bear more fruit. Our life is sometimes that way. He prunes us. He cuts us back. He removes things from our lives that we may have cherished because they're taking a priority in our lives. It's amazing how he has the ability, because he is God, but the ability to do that. And how his timing seems to be impeccable along that way. He let us go so far. Then there's a pruning to bring us back. For us to once again understand, he knows what he's doing. And that, and that it is his desire. It is his hope. It is his wish that we as his children would flourish. Not in the things that we might think of in the world, but that we could flourish and grow as those who understand who God is, at least as much as we can, and understand the depths of his love for us, the involvement that he has in our life that we do not even see in a created world at times, and that it's all working for us, so that indeed one day, we could have a home with him in heaven. He never forces the growth before it's time. We've often read the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. About those hired at the beginning of the day and then hired throughout the day and one hired at the 11th hour. Now each one received according as God had promised. The one at the 11th hour received the same wage as those at the first hour. Do you ever thought about the fact that he also waited until the 11th hour to give that one, that individual, that opportunity to be able to come? Again, he knows. He provides. But he gives us that free choice and that free will to choose. But he does allow one at that 11th hour to be able to find salvation. 
and to have that hope of eternal life one day. His patience, his love, his forgiving heart allows us to relax in his presence and to confess wrongs in our lives that need to be taken care of. We do not have to live in fear. Because of who he is and because of his patience, he allows us that freedom to be able to be children. And they have that hope, again, of being his. When we repent of our sins, part that we forget so often, when we repent of our sins, he tosses them as far as the east is from the west. He does not remember them anymore. Why do we? And why do we allow others to bring those up? The Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 10 that he's faithful to he, that he will wipe away our sins and remember them no more. And for us to remember in verse 18, there is only one sacrifice for sins. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. And once that sacrifice has been made, there is not another sacrifice to be made. Ours is to accept that. When we sin, we repent. We have forgiveness, and that sin is remembered by God no more. What a blessing that is. And what a kind gentleman he is to remove that from our lives and to challenge us to do likewise. He's the perfect gentleman. He can wait for us to heal and to crave his attention once again. Read Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Read the prodigal son. We talked about the son the prodigal son. We talk about the elder son that remained behind. We do talk about the father once in a while. But the father waited for that prodigal son to realize his need for his father. And for the son to crave to be with the father again and allow him to come home. That's the beauty of it, is it not? We can stray, Uh, but God lets us come home. He waits for us. He's that perfect gentleman waiting for us, indeed, to come home. He provides for us so that we lack nothing. He's given us what we need. He's blessed us abundantly beyond our comprehension to receive it. Or to understand it of how much he gives to us. Wise man of old reminds us in Ecclesiastes 3 in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity in their hearts. 
except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. He's made everything beautiful. He's put eternity in our hearts, eternity with him one day. But we never can fully comprehend how he works from the beginning to the end. But do we see him as that perfect gentleman? Or does the world see him as that tyrant that inflicts good on, or inflicts evil upon good people and rewards bad people in good thing, with good things? How do we view God? How do we choose to view him? In Habakkuk 2, verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God has his time frame. Do you look for it? Do you long for it? What have we done with the graciousness of a loving gentleman who cares for your soul? Have we stomped upon his heart? Have we neglected his words? Do we think ourselves as self-sufficient? Or do we recognize the depths of our love and the deep need we have for such a loving God. The choice is ours to make along the way. We make it every day. God is calling the prodigal. God is calling the wasteful to come without delay. He allows man his free choice. And that can and that does mean eternal separation. But in his love and his mercy, he does wait, bidding us to come while there is yet time. That's your choice. Where is your life in light of the God who so loved you that he gave, gave his son to die for your sins? There's a need for you to make a change in your life, be it to become his child, be it to renew that life in Christ Jesus again. If you know your need for the Savior, no, you need to respond to his love and his mercy. If we can assist you, if we can help you in that decision, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.